So like, Shireen. Yes. yes. <laughs> is this your country? Are you just going to start with that question? That's yeah. so, wow. Yeah. You're yeah. just going to go there? Yeah. I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Closer Than They Appear. I'm Carvel Wallace, and this is Shireen Marisol Miraji. Is this your country? Is this my country? Yeah. So I feel like it's, it is my country because it's the only country I really know, right? This is, I was born and raised here. I think the mix that I am, Puerto Rican and Iranian, it's probably a mix that could only happen here. You probably will only find here. I don't know if there are any other Puerto Rican Iranians out there. <laughs> On the one hand, I feel like this is the only place where I could have been created <laughs> mm. in a lot of ways. Um, but then I've always felt, my whole life felt like I don't really belong. You probably know Shireen from NPR. She's a reporter and the co-host of the Code Switch podcast, along with Gene Denby. Shireen is one of the best cultural reporters I know of. She's wild smart, deeply curious, incredibly honest. She's Iranian, Puerto Rican. She's an Angelino. In other words, she is an American. Carvel, can you hear me? I can hear you now. She feels to me a little bit like a long-lost sister. Another cultural mutt with a boundless appetite for overthinking things. Carvel, can you help me not be frightened? <laughs> One time I heard her say, I fit in everywhere because I don't fit in anywhere. And I swear to you, I've never heard my life so accurately described by another person. So what I'm hoping is that Shireen is going to help me figure out the next piece of my big question, which is how can we come together when it seems like so many things are working to keep us apart? Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. You know this already. So it seems like a good time to have this conversation, especially because it's one of the only days of the year when a lot of us, like literally, physically, not just internet-wise, have to come together with people that we might not agree with, whether we want to or not. It's the quintessential American holiday. So who are the quintessential Americans? Let me let me tell you a little story. Yeah. So I was I was teaching in Qatar at University City. I was there for a week and I I was like, "Oh, you know, I'm in this new place and what's close? Like what countries are close that I could fly to and have a little vacation?" So I thought, "Oh, well, India. India is only about I think it was a four and a half hour flight from Qatar." So I was like, oh, I want to go to India. So I, you know, I fill out all my paperwork and it's like stacks of stuff that you need and you need all this documentation. And then I finally, you know, I went in and they were like, oh, your visa was denied. And I was like, huh, maybe I will go to the Indian embassy in Qatar and figure this out. Oh. And so this, the embassy was packed with people. I mean, it was really, really packed and, you know, the, it's really hot there. And so I'm there and I'm waiting and I'm waiting for a very, very long time. And I get, get up to the window and I'm explaining my situation to the man behind the window. And he is basically like, you know, I'm sorry, there's really nothing we can do for you. And Carvel, I 
mind you, I mean, there's no excuse for this. I was hot, though, and I had been waiting forever, and mm. I did not understand this. Mm. I got all uppity-ass American. <laughs> Plot twist. Yes. I'm pretty sure I said this. I am an American. I am an American. Wow. Look at my passport. I'm American. Wow. I bought a ticket with American dollars. I paid for a place in Kerala with my American money. I said, I'm going to spend my money over there. Don't you guys want my money? Oh, my God. That no, is no. amazing. No, no. I went full on like, how dare you? I'm an American. I, and I was shocked by my reaction. Right. And I'm still shocked right. by my right. reaction. Right. There is nothing more American than yelling at people in a foreign country about how you're an American. Part of this insane identity of being a non-white American is that you are constantly going back and forth between feeling like you don't belong and yet feeling like Americanness is in your blood and you can't escape it. I think when I was young, I heard a lot this from, especially from my grandparents, from my Puerto Rican grandparents, especially from my grandfather, who um, was in the Air Force and fought in Vietnam. He was actually a airplane mechanic mm. and he was career military, fought in Vietnam. His brother fought in Korea and Vietnam was in the army in the 65th Infantry, which is, they're called the Borinqueneers. They were... Um, a segregated unit wow. um, in Puerto Rico. Yes. They were actually, I think, one of the last segregated units to disband. Anyway, all that to say, my grandfather would always be like, you know, oh, and he has a really thick Puerto Rican accent. <laughs> and so he would be like, you know, I'm, I'm American. And, you know, I don't understand why people don't understand this. And I fought in the Vietnam War. That man does not leave the house without his Vietnam vet hat. And when people ask him, he's like, I'm an American. And this, you know, I fought in this war and I fought for this country and we are American. And it was something that he made sure that we knew that we were American and we were American citizens. But and that's I've, that American... This is how I look. The way you knew you were American is when you <laughs> yelled in the embassy, I'm an American, spending American money. The way I know I'm an American Horrible. is that, is that <laughs> the way I know I'm an American is that I'm always going, yeah, but we can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the fact that it hasn't been that way, I'm like, that's the past. What past? That's okay. No, we're moving forward. We're moving to the future. We're going to figure this out, guys. Come on, let's do a play in the barn. Like, there's a part of me that really does work that way. Like, the, like when someone says, has it ever been this way? My fundamental belief is, of course it's never been this way. But that doesn't mean it can't be. Mm-hmm. Guys? Right. And Yeah. <laughs> That's what makes me an American. You know? Mm. And I don't know anymore if that's an appropriate way to think. So, I mean, the... The more appropriate way to think you think would be to to be realistic about it, to go back to the history books and say, actually, if you look at the reality here, <laughs> maybe this idea that being hopeful and thinking that, yeah, we can do it, that's actually never really been an American thing. It's It's something we've duped ourselves into thinking. Well, the duping yourself into thinking is the is the oh, that's thing. it. <laughs> but 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 it's like it's almost like um, it's almost like 
that's helpful, but it's not enough. You can't do that. You can't go forward on optimism alone. In some ways, that like in maybe that's the biggest problem that you can't go forward on optimism alone. And and partic- and in order to be optimistic about America, you have to ignore its past. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can't really right. summon the necessary optimism unless you ignore the past. Or, or you, know, you look at the brutal reality of what the past was and you say, well, look at us today. There have been steps forward. There have been obvious steps forward. What do you think? Shireen told me that one of the reasons her grandpa wears his Vietnam vet hat is because people stop him on the street and thank him for his service. And he likes that. Shireen's grandpa is in his late 80s. That means when he was born all those many decades ago, he was born as a U.S. citizen, and he lived his life as a U.S. citizen. He served in the Air Force during Korea and Vietnam. He lived through segregation, through the Klan's terror in the South, through the only ever deployment of nuclear weapons on human beings, the Montgomery bus boycott, the March on Washington, the passage of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the murder of Martin Luther King, of Malcolm X, the rise of militant movements, increased opportunities, increased representation in movies and films, Latino and Latina judges and Congress people and Supreme Court justices. And yet, this past year, he saw his fellow Americans arguing about whether people from Puerto Rico were even American enough to deserve clean water or electricity or safety. That's what makes this past year so backbreaking, actually, if you ask me, for so many people, is that you have a certain percentage of belief, of hope, in the fact that, okay, things are going forward. It's not progress, it's not a straight line, but hey, we're getting there. You know, the, the long arc bends towards justice and yes. blah, 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 and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. All right, this is, with this, I can work. And then you see things like what has happened in the past couple of years. When you see, when you see black people get murdered on video who were unarmed, and there's the, 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 so-called legal system is like, yeah, I feel like that that was fine. I feel like that was, it was a misunderstanding. Hey, tough luck. When, when that happens, you go, I don't, it's, that's hard for me. Cause I, I wasn't that hopeful. Like I was mm-hmm. like, I was, I was tentatively hopeful. And without that hope, it is really hard. And that's, to me, that's the big question is like, why do, like what, why are we just to meta this conversation? Mm-hmm. Why is it important for us to figure out if there's hope or not? Because you have kids, Mm. right? I mean, I don't have kids, Mm. so I don't have to have hope. (laughs) Just kidding. But no, I actually want to have kids. So yeah, but you, Um, but you also want to. I mean, don't you need hope? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, you have to have hope if. Yes, you have to have hope that things are going to get better. Um, if, if, especially if you're bringing kids into this world or you have kids in this world and y- you want things to be the best that they can be for them, don't you? 
Do you have these conversations with your kids? <sighs> I mean, in some ways, kids are so great because they're so self-absorbed. It's really mm-hmm. hard for them to imagine anything in the world. They're just sort of like, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we have these conversations a lot, but we also don't have these conversations a lot mm-hmm. because they also have other things on their minds that are not this. And thank, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. You know? I mean, yes. but yeah, we have this conversation. We, we, I mean, the day after the election, we had to talk for a long time about what to do in the world as people and what this means and what it doesn't mean. And it was weird because it was like you kind of felt helpless because it's like we couldn't vote. We couldn't do anything about it. We could just sit there and watch other people control what's going to happen for the next four years. And it's it's an ongoing conversation. I don't really feel powerless anymore because I've like been like scared into action, which is just like the kind of person I am. But also, our, my kids are 14 and 11. They're cap- 14 and 12, rather. They're capable of being distracted by something very minute, you know, like, yeah. what kind of phone case should I get? Well, anyway. Me, ate my food, and wow. This okay. is what happened, this is what happened. Ezra was, I had a drink, there was two drinks for each of us, there was like two for You know, they're like, capable of being, and of taking that with the same level of seriousness that they take what is happening in the world. Mm-hmm. That is one of the things about being kids, you know, your 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 perspective, your size of import is different than when you're an adult. Like, you know, drink that. We were like, no, no, no. And then he drank it. And I'm grateful for that because it means I don't have to answer this question for them hmm. because I don't know the answer to it. Hey, so we're going to go back to the show the conversation with Shireen in a minute. But first, I have a request for you. Yeah, for you. You, right there, who's listening to this podcast. I want you to call me. I want you to call me and I want you to tell me something very specific about your life. And here's what it is. Okay, you know how in the first episode I told you this country might just be 320 million people who all need to sit down and talk with someone that they're afraid to talk to? An estranged family member, a weird neighbor who you find yourself thinking about all the time, somebody from middle school who said one thing to you one time and you still can't let go of it. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit down, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that person. And then I want you to imagine what it is you'd say to them if you could be face to face with them. And then I want you to pull out your phone, call this number, and say it to me. 949-522-5587. That's 949-522-5587. Leave a voicemail. You don't have to use your name, but tell me who you want to talk to and what you want to say to them. And you might just hear yourself on an upcoming episode of the show. I want your voice to be a part of this conversation. So call. And of course, check us out on Twitter at Closer Show or look us up on Facebook and we'll tell you more. Okay, back to the show. Well, when you're when you're trying to find hope and you're trying to think, I mean, because we do this calculus, right? At least I do, mm. where I'm like, okay, is this like, 
the worst it's ever been, you know? Mm. And then, I, you know, I ask my elders, like, what has it been worse? Or what, what do you think? And, and, and a lot of the response is, oh, yes, it has been worse, but you, because of technology and because of the media and because of social media, you are bombarded by how bad it is all mm. of the time. It just makes everything seem worse. What do you think about that? I think that maybe you don't feel that way in 1975 or something. Maybe you feel like I need to do something about my kids, my family, my job, my clothes, mm-hmm. my my church, whatever. Um, and then, but in, in 2017, you wake up and you go, I need to do something about my kids, my family, my job, my clothes, my church, and also wildfires, and also hurricanes, and also climate change, and also... Mass shootings. Racism and mass shootings and also nuclear, you know, like it that. I, right. So there's something to that, I would say. The feeling that you have to do something about everything. And, you know, how do you go, how do you go on is a question that I think every person has to answer. Literally, how do you get up in the morning and go out? And, there has and do to, you shut some of this out? And if you do, are... Do you feel afraid? Are you, you being a afraid? bad citizen? <laughs> right. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you feel afraid to shut some of it out? I do. Why? Well, first of all, part of it is my job, right? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. there's that. Um, so that's wrapped up in it. But but if I don't go and if I don't check Twitter and see what, what's going on in Puerto Rico today or what the new images are out of Puerto Rico or if I don't do that, I feel like there's I'm doing... I'm, I'm just, I, I, mm, what's the word? I'm not being responsible. I'm not being responsible to my people. My mm. responsibility is to be at least the, at least to be aware of what is going on. I have no excuse not to know, <laughs> you know? And and it's kind of like the least I could do is educate myself and be up to date and aware of what's happening at, at every moment, which is also making me insane. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, I, but it I'm does not, feel like, I mean, do you feel that way? Like, no, I, I, well, I, feel, I feel a lot of ways, but I was going to say, I don't know that I agree that your fundamental responsibility is to be informed. I think that our fundamental, I can't speak for you, but I think that our fundamental responsibility is to be of maximum functionality. Like we have Uh, to be able to do, you you know what I'm saying? Like we have to be able to do self-care the most that we can. Yeah. And self-care has got like a weird, like, But you're well. Now. Keep your well full. But you you yeah. got to be able to operate because they we're needed, and and also we can't fix everything. And so, so there's this thing where you have to be operated at as close to maximum capacity as you can, and that means doing things like feeling love and petting dogs and hanging and, out with your friends, which I realize, with- man. I think they call this. Community, which is a word that is nowadays kind of used to describe every dumb thing, but at its core, it still has value. Real community, physical community, 
characters. Being a part of a thing where you actually connect with other human beings, where there's comfort and trust and honesty, safety and authenticity. And with that collective of human beings, you go forward and decide to change something, to make some small progress, to work for something. That, I think, is what community is supposed to be. And that, I think, is what's missing. And that's a problem for me. Because maybe the only thing that makes me more American than my random, unspecific, and intractable optimism is the fact that I really just kind of want to be alone on a prairie like an exceptional cowboy looking off into the sunset with only my horse and a can of beans, but free, you know, free. I mean, you really have to convince me that I'm better off with other people than I am by myself. It's crazy, I know, but it's the way that I am. It's the way I think a lot of us are. We have a hard time being together. Maybe it requires too much mm, honesty. So my question is, do you think this country can go forward together? I do. I really do. I mean, mm. I feel like people want that. People are... People want human nature is to want to be a part of a group and to have togetherness and to feel like you belong somewhere that we all want that, don't we? And we do want to be in community so desperately. I do feel like we want that. And so if there are spaces where we're creating that and we're trying to and we're reaching out to our neighbors um, and we're doing it in our own small way. I think that is possible. I, you know, I, I don't know. I've been asking myself a question. It's not that question exactly, but I've I've been trying to interrogate myself. Right? You you only I've been in a lot of therapy, Carvel. So <laughs> good. And you have control over yourself, right? And your own yes. your actions. And yeah. you're like, what can I do? How do I? How can I be better? What What can I do better? What's my role in this? As my therapist would always say, "What's your role in this?" Yes. Um, and so, um, I moved into a predominantly African American middle class neighborhood in Southwest right. LA called Lamert Park. Right. And it's going through massive gentrification right now mm -hmm. and i've been interrogating well what is my role in this what is my role in this wave of gentrification you know where do i where do i fit into this and it's mm -hmm. actually made me knock on doors in my neighborhood and meet my neighbors and the one thing that i hear from like everybody i mean and i hear a lot of things and i hear a lot of um and there's a lot of anger and distrust and just pure pissed offness <laughs> about <laughs> inequality in the United States and yeah. racism that yeah. I hear from, from my neighbors. But also one thing that I hear all the time is, you know, we would really just appreciate it if the people who came and moved into this community, if they would just say hi, like <sighs> just walk down the street and acknowledge our existence you know, just say hi to us. Maybe, maybe strike up a conversation. Mm. It, I mean, 
every last African-American person I've spoken to in my neighborhood has said this to me. Mm. Why, why won't, you know, so many of these newcomers to the neighborhood, they don't just stop and speak and say hi. And it's, it's way more complicated than that, but it's also as simple as that, right? Mm. That gives me hope that if people did something as simple as just walking down the street and saying hi to their neighbors, something will break, something will soften. Mm. Does that give you any hope? I don't know. It, it, uh, I've, it been, me, I've it, been going to like coffee and tea in my neighbor's houses. My neighbors drive down the street and give me hugs. I mean, this woman who was like, oh, these settlers moved into that house, blah, blah, blah. And I said, Miss Sheila, I think you're talking about my house. <laughs> <laughs> And she was like, wait, she's like, these settlers with their little dogs. And I was like, um, I do have a chihuahua and I think that's my house. (laughs) And like the other day she drove by and she was like, come here, give me a hug. You know what I mean? And we had a conversation. We like, we, we spoke, we broke the ice. There was there. We were creating community. God damn it, Shireen. See, this is the kind of shit. Look, I like community in theory, but in practice, I'm like a loner. I moved around so much growing up. I went to 11 different schools by the time I was in 10th grade. I'm really good at dropping into a group just enough to get people to like me and then dipping before it gets too personal. I mean, I guess that worked well for a while, but the stakes have changed. You know what I mean? Things that used to be good enough are no longer good enough. Of course, Shireen picked up on that. This is what I meant when I said she's one of the smartest reporters I know. I figured it was probably time to tell her about Aunt B, the white woman who partially raised me. She and I haven't, haven't seen each other in 17 years. Wow. And what you're saying makes me feel like, like, I, like the, okay, so the question is why? Yeah. It's because I am afraid that people will say, well, you're different than me, and I don't like that, so I don't like you. Right. And that I won't be able to take it. I won't be able to connect. I won't, mm-hmm. be, able to, I won't be able to bridge what I think is the gap, which I actually think is exactly why the settlers, as Miss Sheila calls them, <laughs> don't don't talk. Because they, they don't want to feel rejected. I actually know that for a fact. They're rejecting because they don't want to be rejected. They yeah. feel like I can't bridge the gap with this person. They're gonna they're gonna have a world that I don't understand. They're gonna have foods I don't get. They're gonna mm-hmm. make jokes that I, I'm uncomfortable with, and I'm gonna feel you know. And I don't want. I just want to stay in my world, like where all the rules that I know make sense. Here's, here's the kind of dog yep. you should have. Here's the kind of plants you should plant. Here's how you should deal with the environment. Here's how you should talk about race, gender, sexuality, et cetera. This is the world that I know. And I don't mm-hmm. want, there's other people over there who I think might be different. Who knows what they'll say. They, I might go over there. They may say some politically incorrect shit. And then I'm going to feel hella awkward because I'm in these people's living room. You know what I mean? Yeah. And all that is just too much for me. And I don't want that. So I'm going to, I just need to, and if I just don't, if I don't make eye contact, then it won't be an issue for them. <laughs> I, I can maybe skate by. Yeah, that's I, that's what I think people are actually doing. And, and to be a hundred percent honest with you, that's what I think I'm doing on some level. 
oh, I've never even said that out loud. What you're saying is that we actually can't live that way. We have to go and connect with people that are different than us. Mm-hmm. And like, that's not, that's not, <laughs> that's not like me saying, hey, like, Go find, like, me not telling black people, go find your nearest Nazi and just try to find their humanity because there is a way in which that message gets twisted. And that's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But I think that there, I think for me, I have to go and, I have to do a better job of connecting with people that are different from me. Mm -hmm. How do you not talk to the woman that raised you? for how do you not see her for 17 years how do you not see how does she not see me and we're both doing that she hasn't seen me either like you know like no and you're not talking to her because i don't know (laughs) oh really i mean it wasn't because she was like outwardly racist or she 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 treated you in a certain way i mean she wasn't outwardly racist i mean she was no i mean she she was a white woman of her era i'm sure that she had some type of stuff that if she was to tweet it now, people would jump on her. Mm-hmm. You know, she just had some things like that in the eighties, mm-hmm. and she was, and she came from this small town, this this dairy farm in Connecticut, and left home early to go to law school, and came to this small town, McKeesport, to like to help people, you know, like help deal with poverty. And she was like going to roll up her sleeves and do it because she was about it. She was about that life, you yeah. know, in the seventies. And then she met my uncle, and then they got married, and then. They semi-adopted me when my mother couldn't keep, you know, keep the lights on and keep us in a home. I mean, how do you, I mean, when I look at it from her perspective, you're this white woman raising this black child in this small white town. You have to be a lot of different things in order to do that. And I'm going to go see her. (gasps) You are. I am. I'm going to actually record an episode with her. Oh, (laughs) that's going to be amazing. I'm going to go back there and I'm going to God, I want to hold the microphones. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, so I guess Gosh, this is like inspiring me. I'm like, who do I need to reconnect with and why have I ignored them? Yeah. There's a long list, actually. Yeah, that is the question. Who do you need to reconnect with? And you're... Basically, what you're saying is you, you cannot be truly whole in order to... We have to be whole to do this good work to to make things better. And if you haven't faced those fears or yeah. however, whatever cliche we want to say, yeah, that we can't, we're not going to be healthy enough to think so. make this world a better place. Yeah, I mean, I think so, and I I also think that it's really what you said that we have to go talk to people that we're worried might think something bad about us. We've oh, overcorrected. Yeah. Social media has allowed us to separate out people who aren't on our thing and only kick it with the people who are. Okay, mm-hmm. fine, that's good. But we've overcorrected. It's gotten hella specific. Everyone is like exactly with the exact, we've curated the exact right people that yep. are always, you know? Yes. And and that may be, that if, if what you said is true about what this country needs to go forward together, that we need to go and say hi to each other, then in that sense, the overcorrection, the overcuration isn't helping. And I have to go, I personally, if I'm telling other people to do that, I need to go personally do that. 
And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go do that. I love that you're going to do that. I'm really inspired by that. I'm going to I'm going to try and do that myself. I don't want to talk about this. But I have to. Facing your fears, connecting with people, finding community, it's all great sloganeering until it's time to, you know, actually face your fears and connect with people and find community. I don't want to talk about this, but I have to. Because many of us, and that includes me, have to do something, something different, something better than what we've done before. I said in the last episode that I wasn't going to make you face your fears alone. I'm doing it too. I'm facing my past. But now I need help. I need to talk with someone who's out there facing things he's afraid of every single day and to find out what that's actually like. So next week, my guest is Dr. Ayaz Virji. He and his family are the only Muslims in the small town of Dawson, Minnesota. Since the beginning of the year, he's been teaching his Trump-supporting neighbors all about Islam. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting conversation. Closer Than They Appear is the debut production of Jetty Studios. You can subscribe and listen in all the usual places and find full episode transcripts on our website at closerthantheyappear.fm. After you listen, we'd love to hear from you. Write us a review on Apple Podcasts or find us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Closer Show. Our senior producer is Casey Miner. Our producer is Lacey Roberts and our editor is Leela Day. Graylin Brashear and Paulana Lamonier run our social media. And our associate producer is Meredith Hodnott. Our show is engineered by Mark Bain with mixing and sound design by Ian Koss. Music is by Antique Naked Soul. You can hear more of them at antique-music.com. Megan Jones runs our podcast operations. And Jessica Wang is our senior video producer. Jetty's executive producer is Julie Kane. And general manager is Kezar Kempwala. Until next time, thanks for listening. Where's my therapist when I need her? Okay. So I think. Am I going to get paid at the end of this? (laughs) You have to go through my insurance company. (laughs) Um... I don't take insurance.